Welcome to another home-cooked episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government, and with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's Monday, April 27th, week seven of potting from home, and tomorrow we have a couple of more states voting, kind of. We'll take what we can get, right Greg? We're like sports fans in the NFL draft, which got a huge viewership last week. Today, we're welcoming back to the pod Bloomberg government politics reporter Emily Wilkins, who recently went behind the scenes, virtually, to write a story about how campaigns are adjusting to ensure one critical part of their strategy isn't lost thanks to stay-at-home orders. After that, Greg and I will discuss a campaign ad that hit the airwaves last week and stood out among the rest. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look... House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Up first is Jerome's Gem. Jerome's Gem, my number of the week is 2011. That year was the last time Republicans won a special U.S. House election for a congressional seat vacated by a Democrat. Republicans are trying to accomplish this feat in a special election May the 12th in California's 25th district in parts of Los Angeles and Ventura counties where Democrat Katie Hill resigned last November amid personal scandal. The special election pits Democratic Assemblywoman Christy Smith against Republican Mike Garcia, a former Navy fighter pilot. The district voted Democratic for president in 2016 by almost seven points and Democratic for governor in 2018 by two points. And in the all-candidate single-ballot primary in March, six Democrats led by Smith won 51% of the vote, and six Republicans led by Garcia won 49% of the vote. And polls show a close race in a district that Katie Hill flipped from the Republicans in the 2018 general election. Now, about that 2011 special election, that was in New York. Republicans improbably flipped a New York City district that Democrat Anthony Weiner had vacated. So it's been a while, almost nine years, since Republicans won control of a Democratic-held congressional seat in a special election. That's your Jero's Gem of the Week, Kyle. That's remarkable. All right. Well, after the break, we'll bring on Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Joining us now is Emily Wilkins, a Bloomberg government politics reporter and a regular on Bloomberg TV and radio talking all things Congress and campaigns. Emily, you have a story out today about how campaigns are going about filming TV ads when we're not supposed to be leaving our own houses to buy essentials. Are political consultants deemed essentials now? (laughs) I mean, a lot will argue that, you know, we have elections coming up. People need to be informed. They need to know. There, I had people argue to me while I was researching this story that this very much falls within First Amendment rights and that there is an essential element to it. But but yeah, I mean, obviously people... They, they can't get together in large groups. You can't film scenes with your politician meeting with a bunch of senior citizens or having some sort of rally. I mean, even when it comes to shooting these ads, it will take a team of maybe 10 to 20 people being in the same room at one time to shoot an ad. And that's no longer feasible under these lockdown orders. You know, that was one of the things I was struck by when editing your stories, the sheer number of people it takes to film these ads. And It kind of shows you how much thought and care really goes into each one of these spots. 
um, that, you know, depending on where you live, uh, we're going to get slammed with these um, next fall. Yeah, if you're in Maine, get excited. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize that the number either. I just figured there'd be someone behind a camera and maybe a director and someone working lights. But there's sound, there's makeup, there's hair, there's a director of photography, which is a term I had to Google while writing this article. There are a lot of people that, that need to go into this. And so what campaigns have been trying to do, some of them have just been downshifting to the bare minimum. They will just do a simple, simple setup They'll either have one or two people there doing the camera. And in some cases, they're just having the the politician do it themselves. Uh, there was a case where one of the lawmakers just took his iPhone, walked to his family business, uh, turned the phone on and shot himself selfie style and just kind of spoke a bit off the cuff about what his family's business was going through and sort of pledging that they need to look into China and make sure that they're being really tough on China. And they just strung that together into a pretty simple ad, uh, but they they thought that that was the most effective way to communicate the message that they had to the constituents before the election there. You had another nice anecdote from Maine. Talk about that one. That one, I, I think that one was one of the more interesting ones. So Sarah Gideon, uh, who is a Democrat candidate, she hasn't won her primary yet because Maine hasn't had it, but she is seen to be the most likely person to challenge Senator Susan Collins come November. Uh, so she had her videographer just drop off a camera and one of those little ring lights, and that got set up in her house, and it was her 15-year-old son who was filming her talking to constituents on a laptop doing a town hall style type thing. Her daughter actually took a photo of it. We have that running in the story, so you can check that out on Bloomberg Government. But yeah, that one didn't have any professionals at all, and it was used in three different ads. And basically, the camera work was being done by this 15-year-old kid. Greg, is that what you were doing at 15? <laughs> uh, I wish I could. I was probably uh, collecting baseball cards and you know uh, playing uh, some board games, and uh, not, not something as a uh, professional as that, uh, unfortunately. But um, so, Emily, what are the advantages of doing homemade, ad, homemade ads like this? I know you have to sacrifice some production value, but um, does it make uh, candidates seem more authentic to people, maybe? Exactly. That's what one of the consultants was telling me, that actually at this point, it might be more appropriate to do a homemade ad because it looks more authentic. It looks more genuine. I mean, we all sort of understand that everyone is in the same boat right now. And so to see someone who's running for office clearly doing a homemade ad, being stuck at home, uh, you know, playing with their family, having their kids in the background of the shot, it sort of reinforces the message that, hey, they're in the same boat as you. And it can sort of help build on that empathy and understanding that a lot of lawmakers want to tap into to make sure that they're, they're getting votes come November. I'm also kind of curious about, and this could be for both uh, you, Emily, and also Kyle might want to weigh in too, um, about, uh, I'm curious about the tone and the substance of ads that may change as a result of the pandemic, um, we, speaking of the main Senate race, you know, Susan Collins has been airing a lot of ads about uh, you know, her work to help small businesses with a PPP program amid the pandemic response. Sarah Gideon, which we talked about, she's done ads talking about the importance of getting protective equipment for health professionals. You could see her doing virtual town halls on Zoom, like a lot of us are doing right now. Um, but I've also seen a lot of ads, you know, in Republican primaries that are emphasizing, you know, pro-Trump messaging, hitting a lot of the same issues that they were talking about even before the pandemic hit. So I'm kind of wondering, what do you all think about how the tone and substance of ads may change as a result of this? And do you think it will depend on the race and the candidates? That's a good question, Greg. Um, 
I mean, I can see it going a number of ways. I mean, you do have more ads that do focus on the coronavirus. And I think there's still a question at this point. Will the coronavirus be the defining issue of the November 2020 elections? Because there are obviously still other things that people care about. I was looking at an ad uh, from Democratic candidate John Ossoff down in Georgia. He's challenging David Perdue. And he does have this ad that he shoots. His, his wife is featured. She's a doctor. Um, he is in an actual medical facility at the time that he's shooting the ads. They've got B-rolls of doctors doing their thing. But if you listen to the ad, it's not all focused on the coronavirus. It's focused on health care and affordable health care and drug prices. And so Democrats sort of initially started off 2020 saying that this was going to be their big area that they were going to focus on was health care. And so interestingly, the coronavirus plays into that a little bit. Um, but that's are able they're able to talk both about the virus and about health care in general. You know, and Ossoff, I think, has an unfair advantage. I, wasn't his uh, background a little bit of documentary filmmaking? So that's got to help him out a little bit uh, with everyone staying at home. But yeah, you got to think the tone is just going to it's going to get a little bit more more and more partisan um, as we get closer to November. Uh, a lot of it's going to be focused on the economy because that's the one thing the Republicans could count on this year um, to be, you know, what they run on, what they hopefully win on, you know, no matter what you think about Trump, look, the economy is going great. Well, it's not going great now. Unemployment is reaching Great Depression era levels. Um, so who is best equipped to get the economy going again? Is I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of that in ads. I'm also curious about, um, and both of you can weigh into this as well, um, about whether ad buyers might shift or change the distribution of when their ads air now that more people are at home. Uh, you know, it's, um, you know, studying ads over the years, you know, one popular show to air ads on is wheel of fortune where, um, you have a lot of older voters who are more likely to vote. Jeopardy is also very popular. The today show. Um, do y'all have any thoughts about how ad buyers might rethink when they air ads or is it just too soon to say? Well, I can tell you right now, one, one of my TVs is uh, tuned to Nick Jr., which my kids are watching so that I can record this podcast. Uh, now, I don't know how many adults are watching Nick Jr. with their kids. That's the question. And that makes it a little trickier for, for media buyers. What exactly do people have on? I'm guessing, you know, things like CNN and Fox News. Um, but yeah, also you got to think local news is going to be, it's always a big buy for, for political campaigns, um, local and the, the national news broadcasts every, every weekday, but, um, even more so now. Oh yeah. You're seeing day watching of TV go up. You're seeing it on local news. You're seeing it on the broadcast networks. I mean, it'll be interesting to see that. And then it was also pointed out that just because of the seismic shift that we're all dealing with, with the coronavirus, how much an ad buy could cost might be getting more or less expensive in certain cities. There might be organizations that used to do pretty big ad buys, but now they were financially hit hard because of the coronavirus and they might not be buying as much ad time. So airtime might wind up becoming cheaper in some ways. Um, there might be some markets that become a little bit more accessible than they were otherwise. Or you might see the reverse. You might see companies be like, hey, this is a really tough time. And the right thing to do right now is to step up how we're getting in front of people because everyone's at home and everyone's watching TV. So I think this is one of those 
yet to be seen how it plays out items. And so that's another thing to keep in mind. Another moving dynamic here is that if you are campaigning, you have a budget and you've allocated that budget to X, Y, and Z. And then that budget's about to be turned upside down because who knows what fundraising is going to look like in the next three months. Um, But it's a hard time to do that. And so maybe you were planning on running X, Y, and Z ads, and now you're not able to run everything that you thought you'd be able to run because the financing isn't there. And ads always have a big effect on on uh, campaigns and elections, but but gosh, when you can't go out and shake hands and hold babies, like they're more important than ever. And that's why you know you're seeing you know, uh, some of these ads uh, that you point to. They don't want to just slap some stock photos and voiceovers and make an ad. Like this is it. This is the way they're getting uh, their message across. There's no rallies right now. Uh, so you know it kind of kind of explains that. But but there's also been kind of a no- noticeable lull in the ads right now, and I think that's obviously because we haven't had any elections. When are we going to have some elections again? (laughs) June 2nd. We're still looking at June 2nd. We're still looking at June 9th. But who knows how long we're going to be looking at that. We saw a bunch of states in April and May uh, move their elections or a bunch of states move their April and May and March elections to early June. Now you're starting to see states who had moved it to early June, pushing it even further back, back to late June, back to July. Um, I mean, these elections are going to have to happen at some point. I think states might be buying time to figure out what they need to do, maybe hoping the situation gets better and maybe giving local counties and governments more time to set up, uh, set up and prepare for more mail-in ballots. I'm just going to say I've seen some of the ads in some upcoming primaries. We've got um, you know, primary Tuesday in Ohio that was delayed for a few weeks and uh, Joyce Beatty who is a Democratic congresswoman running for re-election in the Columbus area 3rd district, has been running ads. I think her most recent ad actually, you know, was more of a public service announcement that actually encouraged you know, constituents to adhere to the, you know, the hand-washing guidelines and physical separation guidelines that health professionals have put out. So that was kind of interesting to see some ads that are more like public service announcements. Um, I think Martha McSally may have run an ad that kind of talks about her you know, some of the work that she's done to help with, uh, you know, charitable efforts, for example, like helping with, uh, you know, pack food, things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how many candidates kind of shift that kind of messaging uh, about the uh, about pandemic response. Um, I, I do think one of my favorite things, Emily, about reporting a story is learning something I didn't know or that may have challenged my hypothesis of something. And I'm wondering if, you know, can you tell me something like su- surprising or fun you learned from reporting this story about um, ad making in the era of a, a, a pandemic. Part of it is just the the creativity that candidates are bringing to it, how they're deciding to film ads, what they're deciding to put in the ads. I mean, definitely a lot more of having the families in the ads, uh, like you saw with Amy McGrath, her kids playing in the background. Uh, you saw it with Tom Tiffany and his election that's coming up in Wisconsin, that he has his family pretty predominantly featured. Um, and just so you're seeing ads where lawmakers just film themselves. And it, it's, you know, it, it's not that big of a deal that they don't have the hair and the makeup makeup and the high quality that there is this sort of intimate might be the word feeling or authentic and genuine that comes from a lawmaker that's just talking to you one-on-one part of me does wonder if we're going to see some of this carry over if some of these ads are going to prove really effective and when we get back to the point where we could do a professional ad that some lawmakers might be like you know what grabbing my phone and talking to people just like that that worked totally fine for me. Happy to do it like that again. 
Another interesting tidbit from your story on that Tiffany ad, a former Down Ballot Counts guest, Casey Phillips, directed that ad through FaceTime. So that was uh, kind of a cool little little nugget. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there. But uh, speaking of ads, we're highlighting a new one coming up next. Teresa Greenfield, tough enough to take on the special interests. Here's how we know. She refuses all corporate PAC money. Greenfield will take on the big drug companies to lower prescription prices, force insurance companies to protect coverage for pre-existing conditions, and Greenfield will stand up to Wall Street to keep their hands off our Social Security. Not just tough, Iowa tough. Teresa Greenfield. That was an ad from Senate Majority PAC, the super PAC aligned with Democratic leadership in the Senate. It's a positive spot to help boost Teresa Greenfield, the Democrat challenging first-term Republican Senator Joni Ernst in Iowa. Since super PACs can't coordinate with candidates, this was not an example of a do-it-yourself ad, which we just talked about with Emily. But Greg, what stood out to you about this one? Yeah, Cal, so this spot on behalf of Greenfield emphasizes health care, prescription drugs, Social Security, and opposition to corporate PAC money into Wall Street. And these are themes that one would expect from a Democratic Party candidate, or in this case, a surrogate for a candidate in many states, uh, including Iowa, which has one of the highest shares of 65 and older residents in the nation. And like much of the upper Midwest, it also has a populist history of candidates who appeal for the interests of the common person, you know, the small business person, the family farmer, and inveighing against, you know, Wall Street, coastal elites, big corporations, big banks. This ad is designed to help Greenfield win the Democratic primary in early June. She's the preferred candidate of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, but uh, Greenfield will have to win the primary first uh, before she faces Joni Ernst in the general election. And Kyle, this is going to be the first of many ads we see from Senate Majority PAC, um, other outside groups, and of course, from the candidates themselves. Senate Majority PAC last month announced $13.1 million in TV ad reservations in the Iowa Senate race for the fall Senate Leadership Fund, which is the preeminent super PAC that's uh, trying to reelect the Senate Republican majority and Joni Ernst, reserved $12.6 million. So these are astounding sums that indicate that Iowa may well be a top-tier Senate race in November if it isn't already. may not be in the same league as Arizona, Colorado, North Carolina, and Maine, but it's probably pretty close, if not there yet. And we should look prepare to look to Iowa, a state that voted for Trump but previously for Barack Obama to help decide the Senate majority. Yeah, it's definitely not. Uh, it's definitely on the map, uh, if not center stage. Um, all right. Well, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. As always, let's review last week's question. And I asked how many states that voted Democratic for president in 2016 have a Republican governor today. Let's see if Kyle can continue his winning streak of correct answers. Kyle, what do you have for me? All right. Well, you gave me New Hampshire and Vermont, right? So I did. I think the only other two are Maryland and Massachusetts. Correct. The winning streak continues. There are four uh, such states that have that voted Democratic for president in 2016 have a Republican governor. So Phil Scott of Vermont and Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, as you mentioned, and the other two are Larry Hogan of Maryland and Charlie Baker of Massachusetts. Both were reelected easily in 2018 and have among the highest approval ratings among the 50 state governors, if not the highest. So if you got that one correct, congratulations. Give yourself a pat on the back and uh, treat yourself. 
And now for this week's question, how about we stay in the same vein? How many Democratic governors currently lead states that President Trump won in 2016? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's episode of Down Ballot Counts. That's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Kyle, Tuesdays, the Ohio primary delayed six weeks after the pandemic halted in-person voting. Most of the votes will be cast by mail. In Ohio's 3rd District in Columbus, Democratic Congresswoman Joyce Beatty faces a primary challenge, and Democrats in the 1st District in Cincinnati will choose a nominee against Republican Congressman Steve Shabbat. Also Tuesday, there's a special election by mail in Maryland's vacant 7th Congressional District in Metro Baltimore, where Democrat Kwaizi Mafume is favored to succeed the late Elijah Cummings and return to Congress after a 24-year absence, Kyle. All right. And Greg, you know, I was thinking we should add a what are you binging segment here. Let me know if you're if you're into it, maybe starting next week. But uh, I, I thought of it last night because I was watching the series finale of Homeland, which has been part of my life for the past decade. Uh, so that's wasn't technically binging because I've been watching it once a week. But, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a tough goodbye last night for me in Homeland. Uh, it happened a few weeks ago also with Hawaii Five-0. But uh, maybe next week I'll have some more shows to talk about. Uh, All right. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you next week. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, superfund, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater... That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for listening.